Welcome to Christian Medical and Dental Association's Chapel. We trust this message will encourage your walk with the Lord. Well, it is a privilege to be able to uh, speak to you guys. I've gotten to do this once before. It's quite an honor. Uh, and I, I hope you appreciate the fact that you work for an organization that takes time out of the week to do this. Not every Christian organization does that and uh, take time away from busy work to see the priority of prayer and time in the word. And so uh, I'm just glad that CMDA uh, sets this kind of example. I just got back from a uh, mission trip. So I thought I'd start off before we get into the word, telling you a little bit about that trip. But if you have a Bible with you or on your phone, whichever, I think I'd like to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter five. That's where we're going to start. We'll look at a couple of other passages as well, but Ephesians five. And while you do that, I will uh, tell you a little bit about our mission trip. This past week, we took a group of 22 dental students, three dentists, two optometry students, a couple of nurses, and, uh, and then our staff. And we went to uh, the Dominican Republic for a week. We had had seven mission trips in a row canceled because of COVID. And so it was nice to actually get to go back again and actually do it. And uh, everything went well. We had to be tested for COVID before we came back and nobody on the team had it. So that was that was a blessing. Uh, a lot of people got helped in their uh, with their oral care and getting eyeglasses as well. Um, and students learned how to do things that they'd never done before in terms of dental care. So that was good. We look at our mission trips as a discipleship project. So not only are they learning some of their healthcare skills, we're also using that as a time to help them learn to study the Bible and how to share their faith. And so since I'm not a healthcare person, I'm more of a pastor, I go along just to teach students how to do evangelism. And we had a lot of fun doing that and getting, getting them opportunities to share the gospel uh, with people and meet some of their spiritual needs. A lot of people we encountered were Christians. So we found out what some of their issues in life were and prayed for them. And all that we felt was part of teaching our students how to minister to people, both physically and spiritually. On Thursday afternoon, we had a man come in and sit down at our little evangelism circle. Um, and as we got to know him, we discovered that he was not your typical Dominican. He was actually a Cuban and told us his story that he had come with with four other men on a little boat from Cuba to the Dominican Republic. If you look on a map, that doesn't look very far. It took them nine days out on the open sea to get to the Dominican. And he said they were terribly sunburned and hungry and thirsty when they got there. And that was seven years ago. He's not been back. He hasn't seen his family in seven years, though. He had a Typically, he had a cell phone, a smartphone, and was showing us pictures of his uh, daughter who had just gotten married. Um, and, uh, but he was really ready to receive Christ. Uh, the student who shared the gospel with him, uh, the guy said he wanted to receive Christ right now. He was very adamant about that. And it was just an encouraging time to see a person who uh, is kind of lonely being uh, in a strange country and not being able to have his family with him, but really wanted to know the Lord. So it was a good trip. We had a remarkably cooperative group of students, no complaining. So it was a really a fun trip to be on. And we have another one coming up now the first week of May with physical and occupational therapy. And then we have a medical trip coming up in June. So we're glad to get back into doing those things. It's one of the highlights of our ministry every year to get to take students on mission trips. 
Well, today, if you, if you have your uh, Bibles now uh, on Ephesians 5, look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, a lot of, that's, a, that's a subject, the, knowing God's will, that uh, confuses a lot of people. And uh, we're always trying to find God's will, it seems like, as believers. There are a few places in Scripture where it tells us specific things that are God's will. And this is one of those places. First uh, Thessalonians 4 is another one where it talks about our sanctification. And here in the next verses, he tells us some, some part of what God's will for us is. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So there we have one aspect of what it means to uh, do God's will is not being a drunkard on the one hand, but on the other hand, uh, allowing God's spirit to fill us and control us. And so he tells us a little bit here, I think by making this comparison, he could have just told us to be filled with the spirit, but by mentioning not being drunk with wine, I think he's giving us a little insight into what it means to be filled with the spirit. There's a comparison, uh, as you all probably know, working with healthcare people, um, uh, wine or any, any kind of alcoholic drink is a depressant. People may think that it stimulates them, but it actually is a, it's classified as a depressant. And, uh, and yet the point is when a person has too much alcohol, what happens? It, it influences their minds in such a way that they, they think differently. I don't think most people realize it, but their thinking slows down. Uh, and also it affects the way they talk. Sometimes people will say things when they're drunk they wouldn't say otherwise. Um, they, they, they walk differently. As we know, uh, when people, when police officers stop a person, they suspect of being drunk driving, they make them try to walk a line. So everything about the way they walk, the way they act, the way they speak, the way they think is influenced by that alcohol. And in a similar way, when God's spirit, who is not a depressant as a stimulant is in control of our lives, we begin to think differently. Uh, our priorities are different. Uh, we have a walk that is different, not a physical walk, but a spiritual walk, which is different than the way we were before we were Christians. Uh, our speech should be different as well. And so we are different when God's spirit is in control of our lives. And what are some of the things that, that are obvious evidences that a person is filled with the spirit? Well, if we keep reading, we'll see what some of those are. Verse 19 says, addressing one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the thing I want you to notice there is the addressing one another. The idea there is this is talking about our, our fellowship, our communion with other believers, that there's something that happens in our relationships with people, especially with other believers, when we're filled with the Spirit, is that there's this, this relationship that is taking place in the, and in the context of uh, uh, singing praise to the Lord. And that's the next phrase. It says singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So there's the, the relationship with other people, but then there's also that focus with the other people is towards the Lord. It's talking here about worshiping, corporate worship with other believers uh, of the Lord. And it uh, says it's to be with our heart. In other words, it's not just a mechanical thing. You know, you can go to church and you can go through the motions. Uh, unfortunately, I've done it too many times where your heart is not in it. But God's intent is that our heart be in it, that we are worshiping the Lord with our heart. And then he says in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when are we supposed to give thanks according to that verse? Well, at all times. And for what are we supposed to give thanks? Well, it says for all things. 
And that's a that's an important uh, concept there. And I want us to look closely at that because I think it's a uh, can be uh, can be misunderstood. Uh, I know I've talked to people at times and and talked to them about giving thanks sometimes in difficulties. And uh, people say, well, now in First Thessalonians five eighteen it says, give thanks in all circumstances. And so I don't have to give thanks for the difficulties that I'm having, only in the circumstance of it. I can give thanks while I'm in it, but not for the actual difficulties that I'm experiencing. And uh, I think, well, okay, you know, let's let's look at that a little bit closer. Uh, people have sometimes said to me things like, well, you couldn't possibly want me to give thanks even for hard times in life, could you? Do you mean I should give thanks for having cancer or that my mother died? or that my wife has an ongoing health concern? Well, yeah, that is what I mean, giving thanks even for those things. And actually, those three things I just mentioned describe my life over the past six months. And I have given thanks for all of those things many, many times because of what God has been doing in our lives through those. Here in verse 20, it does, I think, expand a little bit on what First Thessalonians says, because it does tell us to give thanks always and for everything. And that can be a difficult teaching and can be misunderstood. It certainly goes against our natural tendencies. And I want to read you an excerpt from John Stott's commentary um, on Ephesians, where he talks about this. And the reason I want to read it is because he says it much clearer than I could if I tried to paraphrase it. So let me read this to you. Although the text reads that we are to give thanks always and for everything, we must not press these words literally, for we cannot thank God for absolutely everything, including blatant evil. The strange notion in some Christian circles is that the major secret of Christian freedom and victory is unconditional praise, that a husband should praise God for his wife's adultery and a wife for her husband's drunkenness, and that even the most appalling calamities of life should become subjects for thanksgiving and praise. Such a suggestion is at best a dangerous half-truth, and at worst, ludicrous. Even blasphemous, of course, God's children learn not to argue with him in their suffering, but to trust him and indeed to thank him for his loving providence by which he can turn even evil to good purposes. But that is praising God for being God. It is not praising him for evil. To do this would be to react insensitively to people's pain when scriptures tell us to weep with those who weep and to condone even and to condone and even encourage evil when scripture tells us to hate it and to resist the devil. God detests evil, and we cannot praise or thank him for what he hates. So then the everything for which we're to give thanks to God must be qualified by its context. Namely, we're giving thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So our thanksgiving is to be for everything which is consistent with the loving fatherhood of God and the way he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. I think that is well put. But I do think that sometimes we we use an, that that kind of thinking as an excuse not to give thanks to God, uh, even sometimes when we're having difficult times. And so I also want to read you some excerpts, some extensive excerpts uh, from this book. It's called Practicing Thankfulness uh, by my friend Sam Crabtree. Uh, listen to this. Because God is always and everywhere at work doing good, there's never a time when God-honoring hearts are licensed to lapse from the soul-enriching practice of thankfulness. Every moment is another opportunity to observe, embrace, and appreciate with gratefulness the wondrous workings of God. So this means it is fitting that we should always and for everything give thanks. 
in order to be able to do this, we have to believe in the complete, complete sovereignty of God who isn't done working all things, including the difficulties and apparent tragedies for the good of those who love him. In 2 Corinthians 4 and uh, verse 17, Paul writes this, even our affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In this, he affirms that God is good, not just powerful. He also tells us in Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So just pause and think about that. Paul says, we know. Well, Paul knows it. The question is, do we? Do we really know and believe that God is actually working all things together for good? And if so, how do we show it? How do we show that we really do believe that? Do we act like we know he's working things, uh, all things together for good without exception for the good of those who love him? Is that what is reflected in our lives? Or do we complain? And does our complaining about this or that betray the reality that I don't love him as much as I claim to, or that I don't really believe he's sovereign? That is certainly a possibility. Sam wrote this, gratitude is the divinely given spiritual ability to see grace and the corresponding desire to affirm it and its giver as good. So I want us to look briefly here at a few of the, uh, the positive benefits of being thankful. It's something that the Lord has been trying to work on me about for years through a variety of people. And he's used this book in the last, uh, I guess, about eight months to really work on me even more in that. And so thankfulness brings fruitfulness in our lives. Uh, with gratitude, if you think about it, everyone wins. If we're giving thanks, we get more delight in God. It, it works on our own attitude when we're giving thanks to God that gives us the delight in him. Uh, God gets glory from us. And people around you find enjoyment from your words and gestures of appreciation when you're giving thanks to people at all, in, at all times. Um, there are consequences that flow either from thankfulness or from ingratitude. And those consequences are universal and they're not optional. They just happen. No one can really escape the, the fundamental order God has wired into the universe. Uh, the well-being of one's soul is at stake and whether or not we're thankful or not. So abandoning self-righteousness, self-righteous efforts to justify ourselves before God and instead giving thanks for the righteous standing that is ours in Christ fosters the development of good habits and patterns. For example, uh, thankfulness liberates us from envy. Well, our world is just eaten up with envy where one person envies another for what they have or do or are. And, uh, and if we're thankful for what we are, what God has given us, it'll, it eliminates that. It's just virtually impossible to be envious and thankful at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. So genuine thankfulness overflows from a heart that is tuned into reality. The reality is God has made it. So more than a task to check off a list, thankfulness is the outlook of a certain kind of heart. I think that came out in the passage in there that we looked at in Ephesians 5, that we're to be thankful, be, being thankful from the heart. So what kind of heart are we talking about? We're talking about a heart that has been and is being transformed by Christ. Uh, it's only through his work in us that we can be thankful in all circumstances. And that's what he was talking about there in Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. And thankful hearts don't just use small measuring cups 
to give out thanks. Rather, hearts that are full of Christ abound in thanksgiving. Listen to Colossians 3, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So the degree to which I'm not thankful is the degree to which I should ask myself if I'm really as rooted and built up in Christ as I think I am. If I have a continual complaining spirit, that should be a check for me to evaluate myself. So this giving of thanks, it's a biblical command, but it's a command we're not able to obey apart from Christ. Romans 8 verse 7 says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So Jesus died to create in us what otherwise would not be true. He he died for one thing, not just to forgive our sins, but he enables us to have a thankful heart. So gratitude toward God is an indication that a person is spiritually alive, awake, and alert. Habitual thankfulness toward God surely indicates a heart that loves and trusts God. So there are benefits. But let's look briefly also at some of the negative results of not being thankful. There's some dangers with ingratitude. One reason we find it unnatural and difficult to feel gratitude when suffering is that we've tricked ourselves into a set of expectations that don't match God's. We think our expectations are perfectly understandable. That's why we have them. We also think our expectations are correct. We never come right out and say that we're right. Uh, But at any given moment, we think we are, because if we discover we're wrong, we change our minds. And then once more, we think we're right. Uh, We do this all the time. We always are thinking that we're right in what we do. So our expectations are warranted, or so we think. So when something doesn't go according to what we think God should have done, we get bent out of shape, perhaps angry or sullen or vengeful or bitter or even suicidal. In a way, you could say we actually don't get bent out of shape, but what happens is it reveals the shape our heart is in, namely that it's not focused on God. It's we've been, we're dismissing God. And we're wanting to go our own way. So the task before us is to yield our expectations to God and to his actual agenda, which flows out of his infinite wisdom. We can do this because as a wise man once said to me, and I've never forgotten, and this was over 40 years ago, he said, you will never be the victim of God's first mistake. God doesn't make any mistakes. So whatever he has for your life, that's his plan. It's a perfect plan. What we actually find is the perfect will of an infinitely wise God being relentlessly worked out for the good of those who love him. And that is good news. None of us live the life we would plan. We live the life God planned for us. Sam Crabtree writes in his book, Above our kitchen sink, my wife has a small placard which says, we plan, God laughs. We, we experience this a lot with our uh, medical and dental students. Uh, they are very uh, goal-oriented type A, and they try to plan out everything in their life so they can be in control. And we try to tell them, you are not in control. God is in control. We so easily miss the opportunity to revel in what God is doing because we're looking for something else. It's like we identify with King David, as he said in Psalm 55, verse two, I am restless in my complaint and I moan. I hate to say that's been too often uh, 
true of me. So the grumbling heart says that God isn't treating me right. The grumbling heart claims greater wisdom and goodness than the infinitely wise God. Thanklessness combines with complaint, and the two conspire to interfere, interfere with our contentment and peace and rest. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me for our last passage I want to look at briefly is Romans chapter 1. Look in Romans chapter 1, because the Apostle Paul writes about the danger of thanklessness. Romans 1, starting in verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Notice he says they didn't give thanks to God. They didn't honor him. They didn't acknowledge him, some translations say, and they didn't give thanks. And what was the result of this lack of acknowledging God and not giving thanks to God? Well, continue reading. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. That describes our nation today, doesn't it? Calling good bad and bad good. Notice, notice what he says, this dark foolishness, how it's exhibited. Verse 23, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So where did all this debased way of living and thinking come from? It came from thanklessness and not acknowledging God as creator. And then he says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then note what flows from this lack of thankfulness. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. We use this passage to share with people in the Dominican who were not Christians to say, this is the this is the kind of tendency. This is where people's lives head towards when they don't acknowledge God and give thanks to him. Verse 32 says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. When I read that, I say, wow, that's a pretty accurate description of the United States and many other Western nations today. And although there may be a number of factors that lead to a person or culture to end up, as this passage describes, a major source of that stems from thanklessness. So let me wrap up by talking about putting thankfulness into action. You know, there's a big difference between feeling thankful and expressing thanks. Feelings matter, they're good, but so does doing. To state the obvious, thanksgiving is an act of giving. <laughs> it's an action. To practice thankfulness, you don't just feel something, you do something, you give. And so you may be grateful for something, but in order for others to know it, it's got to be displayed somehow. There's got to be a word of thanks or a smile or some act of service towards people or a thanking of God. And uh, so that's why Sam calls his book Practicing Thankfulness. And I want to encourage you 
to get that book and read it. When I read it the first time last summer, it just transformed my thinking. So I went and bought, a, I forget, 10 or 12 copies and started giving them to friends. And I've probably given out over 15 copies now. And many of the people that I've given them to have already gone out and bought multiple copies to give them to their friends because Sam goes through so many details in that book, which are encouraging and convicting and practical to help us be people who are thankful, who live thankful lives. You know, it's giving thanks to God regularly at all times and for all things. It's a crucial element of walking by faith. And so gratitude or a lack of it, it's not trivial or inconsequential. It reveals something about each person's core, our priorities, our presuppositions, our understanding of God and his ways. Thankfulness is a powerful force in our lives. And I want to encourage you to make thankfulness a regular part of your life. Try Try it at the grocery store. Try it in restaurants, thanking people for little trivial things and see the response that you get from them. Well, let's pray. Well, thank you for uh, giving us your word and thank you that tells us how to live and, and how, how to think. And thank you for teachers like Sam Crabtree, who's written this excellent book uh, to instruct us in the dangers of thanklessness and the benefits of being thankful and uh, the way we can impact other people through our thankfulness. And so I thank you for, for that. And I pray that some of my brothers and sisters here at CMDA would get and read that book I pray you'd help me to apply it increasingly in my life, that I would be characterized as a person who is thankful, even for little things in life. And uh, we give you praise because you are a wonderful, great God. And we know that you are working all things for our good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.